hello, and welcome to the Yom Iyun podcast, where we analyze a gados from Shas with a rational, metaphorical method. Please email me with comments or questions to rabbibailey at gmail.com. We're in Kedushin, Dafchaf, page 20. For indexing, number two, Agata is going to be the one about acquiring a servant. It's like acquiring a master. Number three is going to be the sequence of Parshos. And then I'm going to also include Hafala from Abayz, 21b at the bottom, about the Yifas Toar, the war bride. All right, so initially, um, we do have a Stam Brisa talking about acquiring a Jewish slave, servant, an Ebed, and you have to treat him so nicely to give him the same uh, sleeping and eating conditions that Mikan Amru, from here they said, Anyone who acquires an Evid, it's a Jewish Evid, it's as if he acquired a master upon himself. So my first question is, why is it important to have this Mikan Amru? From here they said, there's this quip, there's this, you know, almost humorous axiom about the Evid. And even Rambam brings it Lehalacha in his Mishnah Torah. Why is it important to have that? In halacha, it's, 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 you know, Ramah doesn't need to bring those things. He tries to leave them out. That's just a, an agada. It's a quip. It's an idea. Why is that important? And why doesn't the Torah mention this about non-Jewish slaves? On the one hand, we treat them um, more humanely than others. On the other hand, you know, it seems to be from the Gomorrah. A person could smack them, put them to hard labor. You know, why is that not humane? And, and now we're getting into real controversial topics. Are we just giving apologetics, Khalila, Shalom, no, that university thinking whatever say? Or do we have an explanation? How do we understand it? Is it is it a big deal or not? How do we understand the Torah in, in its context? We have the Psukim, we have the Gomorrah, Halacha. Okay. We shall continue. And then we have the sequence of sequence of parashos, Rabbiosu, Rebbechanina. Says that why is he included? There's a sequence of parshos. There's a vakashos shvius, the dust of shvius. Um, person violates it, does business with shvius, then he will end up selling his personal property. These are in vayichachaf aleph. Then a person will sell his field and his house, getting closer and closer to himself. Inserted into this Gomorrah is Bito from Shamos. Even though it's not part of those sequence of parshos, you should know it should be shoved in here fairly rigidly because a person um, would rather sell his daughter than borrow money with interest because his daughter, he can progressively pay to redeem her or she can get married off kosherly. But with ribis, hey, it's called neshek. It bites. It just keeps getting bigger. In any event... Um, a person will let borrow with ribis, and then he'll sell himself. So, um, and in the middle, we have this uh, psychological shot. Once a person does in the vera, it's, it feels like it's a heter for him. So we're, we're, I wrote in my notes here, we're going to, we're not going to call this a fourth piece of a gutta. I'm gonna, I'll call it 3B. We're going to deal with this um, later in the Masechta Daf Mem, I believe, that's what I wrote here. But it's, it's a, it, it is an integral part of this uh, Agada about sequence of Parshos, Shemitah. 
So it doesn't really doesn't sound like in the Torah that all of the parts are connected. In halacha, a person has to go through all these stages to become an Evid. It doesn't really sound like that. And you see from Arva Vashana, it sounds more like it's a psychological shot. And if, and if you're going with a, with a purely psychological shot, left brain, one for one ratio type of idea that I've been doing so far thusly from getting till now, it really wouldn't make that much sense. We'd have to say there's a certain psychology or behavior that, you know, if a person is doing business with Shemitah money, then he'll sell his personal property. He's like an addict. He's like a gambler. Or is there a hashacha pratis that, that causes this? You know, what is, is our understanding going to be that linear, that one must lead to the next? And if it does, Chazal say it's about avdus. So how do we understand, how do we understand this Gemara? Especially, is it psychological? Is it meant to be halachic? Are those mutually exclusive? Furthermore, Chafal from Abayz, you have this Ifas Torah, this whole war bride situation. So at face value, it sounds like a beautiful psychological shot. The Torah spoke against the Yitzhahara. It's better that a Jewish person has kosher food than non than like a nevela, like a, eating a dead animal on the side of the road. It's better that he has a halakhically Jewish wife than to live with a non-Jewish woman. So it's always bothered me, you know. It sounds like it's this incredibly expectedly treif thing, but it's like Halila, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's hands are tied. How could it, you know, Hashem must create this extra mitzvah, Kibiyachol, that saves a man. But why didn't HaKadosh Baruch Hu just create the human psyche so that when Jewish people send righteous men to war, they can hold back from these women. It's always bothered me. So we need to explore this, um, this halacha and this series of halachas. Okay, let's go back to the halachas of Avodim. There's a machlokas between Rav Hirsch and Rambam about how to understand Avodim. Rav Hirsch, as expected, is bringing a very progressive... Uh, modern, I say modern and humanistic shot, not progressive in the left wing uh, university thinking of nowadays, God forbid, but um, in terms of <clears throat> humanizing it, he says you essentially, a Jewish person steals, he can't pay back, he essentially is required to work for the victim. The victim essentially takes over his business. If he was a shoemaker, then that guy, he's selling shoes, the money goes to the victim. If he's a blacksmith, the money goes to the victim until he pays off his debts. And he brings, according to Halacha, even Refresh brings Rambam, a person can only be an Evid after they have gone through this whole sequence of selling things. The, the Torah has a, has a sequence of selling things. And this, we're going to have a, like a double, triple way to understand Chazal. You know, applying, quote-unquote, university thinking, literary thinking to the Torah is just not relevant. The Torah has a very intelligent way that it's given over. Go back to the Gittin and Daf Samach. Torah was given with the methodology. 
So something called smichas aparshos. Parshas are placed together next to each other that generates conceptual meaning and halachic meaning. That's what's going on in the sukkans of parshas in the Vayikra Chavhei. There is a psychological shot of a habitual sinner. It will go from hergisho, he senses that he shouldn't do it and he just does it, to habitual, he doesn't even feel it anymore. It's in his hand. Is he going to remove it from his hand or not, so to speak? The habitual sinner will be like a gambler, only this person lacks a muna. A muna for shvius. And that's why Rabbi Yosef Rachanin taught this, because he taught a number of concepts about tefillah. Tefillah is about asking Baruch Hu for what we need, about a muna, and bringing that to us. And the habitual sinner of Rav Hashanah is taught by Rav Huna. He was poor and became wealthy, but he was still pious. Put all of his life together. They're great Rabbonim, great Gedolim to speak about that we, we need to have a muna even when it seems like we won't have money and there will be poverty. And poverty is exactly what we need to speak about with Abdus. The world, for the longest time, was an extremely impoverished place. And only very few had wealth. Industrial Revolution brought more, some more goods to people. But even the average life expectancy until 1900 was 30 years. From 1900 until COVID started, the life expectancy rose because of medical advancements, discovery of germs and pasteurization in the 1800s, different molecules, medicines, etc. And even so, a lot of us, including myself, are very fortunate blessed to have income. But still, if you look at the statistics, the amount of people making more than, used to be 40,000 with a um, devaluation of the dollar and inflation and all that, the amount of people still making more than fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 in the world, is, it's, like a, it's like a 1%, less than 1%. It's a fraction. Feel free to send in the numbers. But even now in our world where people do have somewhat more plenty, middle class growing in India, it's still a very volatile place. Lots of people, low Lindu, having trouble eating, struggling. We have a very strange phenomenon, which is good, that we have people that do get the blessing of housing and food. So on the one hand, they have their needs met, and then on the other hand, they have to contract themselves to live more impoverishly. And then they get, sometimes get spoiled, and they want more spoiled things. It doesn't match their situation. But the world, for the longest time, and even now, extremely poor, absolutely brutal place. So, Rambam speaking about having a Jewish slave, he says, you can put this guy to work. When it says that, you don't treat him like a regular Evid of the nations, it means you don't sell him in public, you sell him in private, treat him with respect. But you can ask him to hoe the field, do housework, field work, as long as you give him a set time. Whereas Rav Hirsch says, if you don't like the guy, I owe you. You can just give him an I owe you. Get out. I, don't, I don't like you, you stole from me. You're a jerk, go away. I owe you. Rambam says, okay, you can make him cut your hair. You can make him do any kind of set work you want. So he's working off his debt, 
or you, you know, send them to work for the neighbor and they pay the money and it comes to you. So when it says, you know, he still has to live with you though. So when he has to live with you, even though Hirsch says he's, he's dependent upon you until he works it off, almost like an exchange program. But when Rambam brings me Khan Amor, Kona Eved, Ivri, Kona Adam I believe the idea is that this whole Avdus thing comes with the owner's manual. There's a warning in the owner's manual. Your orientation is be careful. He might be able to earn the money back, but there's, there's some cost along the way. The net profits go down. And that's an orientation for us today that the whole intention behind this from Kodesh Baruch Hu is still having respect. Now, it's hard to understand respect for us. We live in these modern times, okay? As I said before in, in Gittin about parenting and women, up until the 1950s and 60s, pretty much the whole world had women subservient to the husband just as children were. They respected them. They had fear, a fear-based model. Um, in the Hilchos Harchakos of Nida, there is halachas that if a woman is a Nida, man and woman are not allowed to pass things between themselves. They have to set it down. And one thing that's a kirva, certain things are a feeling of coming close together that are forbidden. One of them is a woman serving her husband food directly in front of him. So Rebekah my Rebbe said, well, why doesn't it have a man serving a woman food? And he says that it's not necessarily that it's not a kirva, but it didn't exist. It never happened in history. Women were always making food, serving food, <laughs> up until recent times in history when Chazal made those edicts. Um, so we have a modern lens, but if you go back, very few people were educated. So think about it. You're a time traveler. You, know, you want to go back in time and be very distinguished and say, to five servants of yours, five children, and, and wife. Let's say two wives here. You're impoverished. Huh? You want to tell them, would, you, would all of you please come over here and put this over there? Thank you. You know, your avadim are brutes. They're closer to being a golem than a human. We know they have Tzoros Elohim inside of them. They have the image of God, so we treat them with respect. We don't denigrate people. But frankly, sometimes they had to give them a smack for them to work. It's a horrible, gruesome world. But taking people out of the realm of Avodah giving them some rights, trying to make him yidin, that was the best at the time. The, as Rambam writes in Mordebuchim, Kesh doesn't immediately change human nature. From the times of Adam Rishon until the time the Torah was given, this became an, this became a, an institution so, Kodesh Baruch cannot just ban it. People would do it. Or, I'll say differently. Kodesh at the time of the giving of the Torah, viewed it as not such a bad thing. It's horrible that people will strike people or threaten them. But frankly, the world was living by a fear-based model at the time. And it really matched up with what's going on. And just like the Torah was innovative giving a kasuva to a woman, the Torah is innovative in beginning to give people rights, and over time, as people make modern countries, they forbade slavery, and we don't need it. People have workers, and they have freedom to leave the job, either at will or a contract. Okay, so this brings us to the first Torah situation. 
And then I'll, and I'll go back and tie up, tie up some loose ends and things. I just want to be smooth here. Okay. I'm thinking like this. From the times of Adam Rishon until the times of Matan Torah, from Adam to the giving of the Torah, Rambam does write and imply also in other places in the Mora that originally the goal was to pray to God through meditation and prayer. But there was sort of a damage to the psyche. There's a psychological damage to humans, and they needed more of a physical place to pray. Physical place, I'll add in a priestly case. All these sort of rituals. I would even add in all the hukim, he says, are against, against the Bodhisattva. All these things to preempt the Bodhisattva and to point it at the Kosh Baruch or even purely non avodas are prayer feelings to point them at the Kishbarhu. So I think you could argue from Rambam and also from psychological research that there's such a thing as a damage to the psyche. Okay, So perhaps when Adam Marishan was created and those people went to war, maybe they did not um, have forceful or zinus consensual relations with the Zonos in war, but perhaps people kept becoming aggressive and testosterone-filled, and even when Sadiqim go to war, they have a weakness where they need to be with the woman, and they become attached to her, emotionally attached. They're allowed to have one Bia, can't help themselves, and then they have to go through the process of converting her once they get their wits about them and stop being so aggressive, so they'll break all the barriers, even lust, then they can think about it. Maybe they don't want her. Let us return to a couple more points from my notes, and then we will do a review. Also, Rav Hirsch elaborates on this whole piercing of the ear and the doorpost, and he says, the Jew who belittles the dignity of being doorposts, meaning independent, this is me talking, meaning having independent home, he did not hear heed the call from God to have freedom and independence, he has his ear bored into the doorpost, thereby the stamp of belonging to a home is impressed upon him. You need to belong to a home. You belong to this uh, slave owner home now, but you need to go and make your own home later to find that independence. Don't be too comfortable here. And also, um, crime and poverty, just what we're talking about, he writes, these are the two factors which in ordinary social life are inclined to bring the respect due to every human being down to its lowest level, right down to zero. The Torah takes the criminal and the child of extremist poverty and places them in the head in its laws of human rights. So the very beginning of Parshish Mishpatim, where we talk about all these different laws of society, we talk about human dignity, taking humans and rehabilitating them lifting them up. And you know, speaking of poverty, long story short, there's something called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Five steps towards self-actualization, but it begins with having sustenance, protection, social, etc. In the Jewish, if you look at Parshish Mishpatim, the Psychos and Stumos, the, all these Psychos, open sections, you have the Maslow talks about it in a much more sophisticated way. All this stuff about slavery, humans surviving. Then you have Arba Avos Nazikin. You have safety. Then you have socializing in, 
together with one another, then a group, going to Eretz Yisrael and Kiddush Baruch Instead of the narcissistic, just self-actualizing, you have um, going towards God. And someone pointed out that it parallels Rav Noach Weinberg's five levels of pleasure, or the, the ultimate goal is the highest level of pleasure is that relationship with Hashem and the spirituality. So, most people in history are living in the bottom two rungs of Maslow. It's only people who had plenty, very wealthy people in history who had plenty, and in recent history with more industrialization and technology and burgeoning middle class and wealth, that people could climb up to that. If someone's at the bottom, your mind doesn't even get unlocked in order to think about the next step. So if you're busy fighting for sustenance, you don't think about safety. Once you have safety, no, once you're fighting for safety, you don't think about socializing and groups. Boom. Once you get safety, you can think about interdependent one-on-one and then groups. And Maslow would say self-actualizing, which is an important thing, even in a Jewish sense, in my therapy sense. And then the, the Torah would say, etc. to Hashem. So people's psychology were not even unlocked to be advanced. People would spend all this time, a whole day baking, a whole day doing laundry, etc. And it's not just that they were busy doing those tasks. It's that their minds were not as complex because they were so stuck on that rung of the hierarchy. It's like a pyramid going up. It's rungs in the ladder. And they very often did not have education to develop the mind as well. So people were more brutish and not as advanced. And that explains the laws over here. Okay. So let's go back to the notes here. So let's, 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 let's size, size this up as three different shatim here. Chazal, face value. Okay. Chazal at face value is a beautiful psychological shot. HaKadosh Baruch Hu set up humans this way. The lesson is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God wants tzaddikim to go to war. Righteous Jewish men are the ones who go to war when we have a nation. Aggression can lead to lack of self-control in all areas, whether it's women, being inappropriate in the bathroom, jokes, whatever it is, there could be a crack in the armor, pun intended, of the self-control. Therefore, the Torah said, let's make something mutter here. And perhaps there's a different idea or culling more levels to that. Rav Hirsch says this is protecting the women and the family. He goes. He writes a nice paragraph over here. If you're looking at Kiseitze, chapter 21, Parak Chafalaf and Devarim, the Torah goes out of its way in all these sections over here, and he's right, very clearly, to protect the sanctity of marriage and family and the bathroom and modesty. So here, too, it's, in, it's protecting this uh, woman. She wants to be Jewish. She doesn't. She's adaptive. She will have more of a respectful marriage. Just as I mentioned, the Torah added on kasuba to women. It was a Innovative, novel idea, because women were pretty much just chattel. You got your goats, you got your women back then. Not as many rights. And the Torah giving a kasuva and uh, obligations and a certain amount of respect and liking your partner, even if it's a fairly arranged marriage, that was a chiddush, innovation. Rav Hirsch, protecting the woman and the family. And the next section is the multiple children and who's the before. And I'm going to add in here, you know, if there, it's very similar to a problem people have. If you look at Nach, 
It does not sound like a very religious book. <laughs> you know, if you if you if you expected to hear, you know, read Nach, you'd expect, you know, and uh, Shmuley and David went to not just regular people, not David Melch and Shmuel and Navi, but Shmuel and David put on tefillin and they shechted and they roasted it and they went to Shul and Shabbos and they learned Torah. I'm not going to say they had you know the full spetics and. Um, Bekishas and uh, Strimals, but uh, you expect something frum sounding, right? Yashar. The book, though, is really a highly political book. It's about the structure of the nation, making kings, maintaining kingship, Musser. It's, a, it's, it's more about moralistic lessons and political structure than about kosher life. So, a lot of Viciousness, a lot of things that sound not very Jewish, and have to be explained. But Nach is not so frum. So when it comes to, you know, hearing about people going to war, frankly, But you know, he had a lot of money, and frankly, humans are highly adaptable. If these people are going to adapt to the um, system, let's say their husbands are wiped out and their nation's gone, got divorced, if they're going to adapt adapt to this life, then it is a viable marriage, frankly. People are not as educated. People, even nowadays, people are highly adaptive. I'm a psychotherapist, as I mentioned. People don't want to break up with their partner. It's very hard. They're drawn to them. They're close. They adapt to the situation. They justify. It could be as extreme as Stockholm Syndrome. The person's very much captive. It could be a mild version of that, adapting to the situation. It could be Adapting to a healthy situation. Adapting to a healthy situation. So when someone has multiple wives, it can be a blessing in a poor society. A lot of men going to war. Yes, I know a lot of women died in childbirth, but a lot of men going to war and doing brazen things, getting killed. A bunch of women, bunch of women in that area. Women did not do well on their own in, in all of these countries in history. Horrible things happened to them. So it's better to be attached on to a house of wealth than to be left to the public. You know, it, it, women could not just go and become lawyers and have their own security in their own homes. So, and it's better for an Eved, Jewish and not Jewish, to attach themselves on to Jewish people. And Rambam brings that if a Jew was not sold in his poverty, he's not working it off, he's just an Eved that he could be worked a little bit more like an avid, but you still have to respect him. Okay? That was, that was good for people. Okay. Let's go back over everything to make sure we got everything down. So we said... From here we said, you acquire a Jewish servant, you acquire a master. Because the net, the net profits go down. You've got to be very respectful to this person. If you want to try to get your debt, it might not be worth it. You might want to get the IOU that's baked into the halacha in a different baking than the Kedushan I mentioned, but it's part of the warning on the owner's manual over here. Rav Hirsch says a worker can pay off his debt. And something there's very, something very interesting here, you know, Culture of the times shot, the, what I'm always mentioning that we do not want to have. So I remember sitting in the 
Shir and Sanhedrin, Rambam versus Rashi. There's a machlokas. How many mitzvahs are there in Kiddush HaChodesh, I believe? Rambam says two, I think. Rashi says one. And someone said, well, Rambam lived in a lunar society with the Muslims. Rashi lived in a Christian society with the sun. Is that why they had those mitzvahs? And the Rebbe said, no, speak to me after this year. But basically, we assume that Rashi and Rambam did thorough analysis and came out with what they thought was the MS. So, oh, is this just Rambam being old school, living in a Muslim country? And it, he, frankly, a very dangerous life. It's a miracle he wrote all these for him. He had to get driven out of Andalusia, Western Europe, driven down out of there by the Al-Muhadin across northern Africa, over to Egypt. Eric Sistral briefly back to Egypt, I think. Oh, he's writing to, he's writing according to his time. Rav Hirsch, he's being apologetic. You know, he's being very apologetic about this Torah. I think the answer is no. They're, they are possibly for their time. Rav Hirsch in Germany, becoming more of an enlightened country. If they had, it's not that he needs to skirt parts of the Torah to hide them, although it might be better to hide them from the public if they're going to attack the Torah. But he did believe that, he does believe that in his time in Germany, it's not good to have slavery. It's just a man working off his own money. And again, this, this law is only noheg when there's a Yovel, when people are in Eretz Yisrael. So we're talking about Jewish people living in Israel in a highly structured society with the Melech, Shoftim, Shotram. It's not just Germany. It's, that would be a, a situation where it's a much more honorable, less dangerous situation. Okay, reverse speak, with, that's how he would pass it for his times and what those people need to hear. Rambam, he's, Rambam lived in a place that has more of the brutal truth. People had slaves. I just saw a statistic, I think 30% of people in Rome were slaves. I'd be willing to bet even more people outside of Rome and in history were slaves. And if they were not slaves, running around without land and just poverty and everything. Okay, non-Jewish people are not protected. Well, it's like Rebus. We're nicer to Jewish people, but there is Derek Avdus. We're generally respectful, but if people are uneducated and they are closer to a golem, unfortunately, not exercising their source of Adam with education, you're going to have to smack them to go to work, unfortunately, as much as unsavory as it sounds in August 20th, 2023. That's how it was. And thank God that society has advanced, and we hope it keeps advancing and not regressing as it has in some ways. Ha, ha, ha. That's the Rabbi Moser. Okay. Now, part two. It doesn't say all those parts are connected. So we talked about the second, the number three, the second Agudah over here on Davkov, about all the smichas of Parshos. So Rav Salvechik would always show and sometimes say, the Rav, Halach and Hashkaf are two sides of the same coin. So you have this whole section of Parshos. I'm going to say it's beautiful to read it in shul. If this and this, if this and this, it sounds like a general law book. You scrutinize it, it's missing something. If you read it as a psychological, philosophical set of paragraphs, paragraphs are required Parshos, really, then you will get uh, um, psychology about habitual sinners, uh, sin addicts. <laughs> that they will progressively keep going down the road of losing everything. And if you look at it from a halachic perspective, it tells you halachas about abdus. They pass in that 
You can only become an Eved if you do all these things. And maybe, 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 Rambam, we said, holds the Rabbanim in those times make up the Drushas. Maybe Rambam is also saying that this Abdus, maybe they were trying to Paskin to say this Abdus thing is rare. They created it that way. Now again, that's not me saying that because I want to be a super left-wing person to phase it out. Oh, the, the Talmud and the rabbis are making things up. That, that's a legitimate statement from Rambam. But according to other Rishonim, um, it would be that the Masora, they believe, from Harsinai. That it's a rare case of paying off a debt after the person went down the spiral of crime. Oh yeah, there's an Israeli professor. He's talking more about criminals who are scheming. Uh, I believe he said, I'm, I'm translating, but it's a tornado of crime. Basically, you keep descending into a circle. You know, he's trying to explain how does it people end up murdering, excuse me for talking about this, but people murder over money and um, crimes and they embezzle large amounts of money. He, he demonstrates that it begins with a smaller crime and it gets worse because the person starts with a small crime, they're not caught, so it becomes more addictive. And they want more and they get greedy and then they start to buy more than they were taking in and they could be in debt and they got to make more money. And it just descends. And then when people find out about that, they'll do anything to silence them. And they'll threaten violence, and sometimes it's just a threat, sometimes it's real, but it's not crazy that criminals end up in such a horrible scenario. This is main that situation. A person lacks a muna, they go after money, they're going to lose their money, mida, connected mida. Hashaka pratis, it's measure for measure, psychological, it's measure for measure. It's nasakaheter. It becomes permissible. People doing crime, insurance fraud, Ponzi schemes, upcharging people, etc., etc. That's related to the psychology, and we'll see that statement about Avra Vashana, repeat offenders in the future. Let's go back to the Ephes Torah. We said maybe it's a face value, Peshat, that this is the way God created it. Kadesh Baruch Hu is warning us, and there is a way to... Marry her. And, and step two, or maybe eight, one B. Of her, she's, she says it's protecting the woman and the family. This is a psychology. And I'll say maybe this psychology is not so warped and twisted and nasty and shooks and everything. If someone is an Evid, they actually can have relations with the Shifka Kananis and, and there's children. So you see the Torah gives some kind of bashashkuta, everything that's trade, if you have some kosherness here. Maybe for people going to war in you know, um, Jewish wars, it's more of a main, a proper act. There's adaptability. Maybe there's some kashras there converting the person. David Amalek had these people in the Chazal. So I, and then I would argue, perhaps a way to understand it is that it was not the original intention when Kodesh Baruch Hu put creation in motion, but he, God, Kodesh Baruch Hu allows human beings to live on their own, for better and for worse. Human beings create incredible technology, advances in helping ourselves and others, but perhaps, sociologically speaking, psychologically speaking, we can damage our psyche to the point that we have weaknesses and limitations. We need a physical place to daven instead of just abstract prayer and meditation. So too, when humans go to war, they cannot control themselves, 
even though it was not intended, but this is God's giving us that independence. So may we all take this independence and be able to develop forward constructively as a society, get rid of evil, protect ourselves, and may we all appreciate what we have when we have, when we get out of poverty. We don't live in poverty when we can have more sustenance and wealth. May we all appreciate it and help others to advance in the world. Thank you for listening to the Yom Yon Podcast. I got us in Kedushin now. Please email me with comments and questions to rabbi at rabbibailey.com. And I hope you have a wonderful day. I might add in little stickles over here if I, if I um, think of some. So don't be surprised. Or if I look up my Sephotim and I forgot something. <laughs>